Hey everybody, Tom Block. Thanks for tuning in to Front Row Knowles and thank you to Seminole Boosters for their support of this program and more than that, their support of Florida State student-athletes. If you're listening to this show and you're not a booster, what are you doing? Support the program and the student-athletes you care about. All the information you need is online at boosters.fsu.edu. Your gift makes an impact. It supports scholarships and sports medicine, strength and conditioning, nutrition, equipment. Buy tickets, show the student-athletes you care. All the info you need, boosters.fsu.edu. And all the info you need this week, well, here's Front Row Knowles. Broadcasting from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Good day, everybody. Tom and KJ with you. This is Front Row Knowles. Keith, how are you, sir? Still basking in the glow, Tommy, basking in the glow. Well, and to that point, Keith, if we just went ahead and postponed the game this week, we could bask in the glow a little longer, right? We'd still be unbeaten at least another week. I'd be unbasking, unbasking if they postponed or canceled. We are recording on uh, Tuesday evening, and as we speak, the game is on for 3.30 this Saturday. And as you know, the storm has, uh, for the last 48 hours or so, has moved east every time they've done another update or, or further away from Tallahassee. So it would appear that Tallahassee's clear and that we can play this football game. We certainly want to wish everybody the best. Hopefully you have uh, taken proper precautions. Uh, you've evacuated if you need to, and uh, just stay safe to the best you can because this is a the storm is a big deal. So it's it's a little inconsequential that our conversation is going to be about football, but that's what we do, Keith. And uh, from from a matchup standpoint. I really don't want this game to move because I feel like you've got Florida State riding high. They played their most complete football game in a long time. I know it was against a bad BC team, but still it was a 60-minute effort. You've got Wake Forest that might be a little bit emotionally reeling after dropping a game in double overtime that, candidly, I thought they should have won in regulation. They'd have to travel. I know FSU could get some bodies back maybe if this was played at a different time, but I think the way the Knolls are going, let's just play this thing. That's, that's where I am. I basically agree with you. My only hesitation in that, and it's just an acknowledgement of the fact that, you know, if Hartman was out, you didn't know he was coming back and or when he would come back, you didn't think much of Wake. And now that he's back, obviously talking about the Wake quarterback, you know, I watch most of the Wake-Clemson game. And candidly, they are a better team than I would have counted on them being uh, at this point in the year, and maybe I'm underestimating them or something of that nature, but but this is a complete ball club that you traditionally think of when you think of Wake as being a little bit gimmicky with that mesh, that slow mesh offense. But they've got some talented players now, and as as you know, I'm probably going to say, and we'll probably talk with our Osceola insider Kurt Weiler about this. You know, when you take an offense that's a little off the wall or you don't see very much. i.e. Paul Johnson uh, at Georgia Tech when he was the head coach, and then you run it with some really good athletes, it's a dangerous combination. Uh, I mean, Florida State defensively, just like Clemson defensively, is going to have their hands full with this group. Yeah, there's no question. At some point, we all, we, me, you, everybody else in college football, we need to get past the gimmicky thoughts we have about Wake, right? Although I do feel – when you look at last week's game against Clemson, for example, the national perception might be because the game was so good. Well, Clemson's not as good as what they've been because Wake almost beat them. Instead of the perception going the other way that Wake must be a really good football team because they almost beat Clemson. 
And I guess part of that is they do have to break through. I forget what the stat was, but they showed it during the Clemson game. Wake hasn't beaten a top 10 team since 1912 or something like that. Oh, and 52. I don't remember what the number. Right, so at some right. point you got to break through to, to validate where you've been. And that's the next step for Wake. I just hope it doesn't come this week, even though they've won an ACC title, they won the division last year. Uh, we don't need any validation this weekend. Well, and the good thing is, obviously, the FSU coaching staff doesn't think like I do or maybe you do in terms of, oh, it's only Wake. And more importantly, the kids. The kids don't even know what Wake Forest history is or was. All they're going to know is what they see when they're studying tape and, and preparing for the ball game. So in that regard, it's us old folks, fan base, that you know have got to get past that scenario where, oh, it's only Wake. Uh, fortunately, the, the kids are going to be very keen to what's going on uh, because they, they, they know how good Clemson is and they know how good, excuse me, how close Wake came to beating Clemson. We will uh, break this game down in detail with Kurt Weiler from the Osceola in our next couple of segments. Uh, obviously, as we talk again, Tuesday evening or so, the game's on as scheduled this week at 3.30. Injuries, and, and more specifically, who's no longer injured and can play is going to be a big question going into this game. And we don't know the answers to that with Florida State having a lot of guys nicked up. I thought it was interesting, and you can appreciate this, Keith. I, I asked Alex Atkins last week. I don't recall exactly how I phrased it, but the premise of the question was, because this was before the BC game, so they lost some guys at Louisville. How do you how do you make sure you keep morale up when you know you've lost some guys and you're having to change parts and pieces and rotate guys in the offensive line? You lost guys in the defensive line. And and Atkins basically said, he said, well, coaches aren't aren't smart enough to classify that as good or bad. It just is. This is who we have. Let's line up and let's go out there and play. And that sounds very simple. But as fans, we sit there and go, we need verse. Oh, we need Fabian Lovett. Coaches say, these are the guys we have, line up and let's go. And that's how they attack it. The other thing from a true fan base perspective, Florida State doesn't release information on injuries. So Jordan Travis is injured. He's probably not going to play against Boston College. And then we're pleasantly surprised when he's there. Maybe, fingers crossed, same thing happens reverse and Scott and some other of the kids. Wishful thinking, but we'll see. We'll see. We'll know uh, once they take the field uh, about 2.30 on Saturday, assuming the game goes off the schedule. All right, Kurt Weiler is up next. We are just getting started here on Front Row Knowles. Trucks, cars, and SUVs. You name it, and we got it. With the best selection of new and used vehicles in North Florida and South Georgia, and the best prices and trade-in values every day, it's the Hobson way. And if it's service you want, Mike Tyler and his team will take great care of you and do the job right. You'll never get a better deal or be treated better than right here in Cairo, Georgia at Hobson Chevrolet. So whether it's sales or service, come by and see us or check us out at hobsonchevrolet.com buy and service your chevrolet the hobson way front row knolls is presented by hobson chevrolet of cairo georgia get your best deal the hobson way now back to tom and keith Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. Tom Block, Keith Jones with you. We open up that Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together and say hello to our Osceola insider, Kurt Weiler, who joins us. And uh, Kurt, it's good to see you. I want to put a disclaimer uh, on this for people just tuning in that we're recording this on uh, Tuesday, late afternoon, early evening. So uh, as we record, we're operating under the premise that this game is going to be played this weekend. Uh, and we'll just leave it at that. But there is, uh, and, and we'll, we'll, of course, extend uh, well wishes to everybody that's in this path and dealing with what's going to be a significant storm, regardless of what happens in Tallahassee this weekend. But Kurt, how are you, sir? 
Oh, I'm doing well. I, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm no complaints here. So tell the truth. When the schedule came out in January, you started counting up wins for Florida State, and through four games, you had the record at what? So it's hard to look back at January, but especially coming into the season, I, I felt good about them being three and one. I thought they would win one of LSU and Louisville, and I thought that would be a win. Obviously, some things changed. The Louisville game looked a little bit more, and I think was a little bit more winnable than we thought it was going to be. And uh, the LSU, I think you got lucky playing them the first game, but it's not to discredit what this team's done. I mean, I think they've uh, earned their four and oh. So not too I, I far just, off track from three and one. Sorry, Keith, go ahead. I was just going to say, I, I, I still can't get my hands around fully appreciating 0-4 versus 4-0. and I mean, I think we've gotten so appropriately uh, pleased and, and, and our, our hearts are warm by how this team is performing that we forget what 0-4 felt like. It, I remember it as being doomsday. I remember it as, you know, are we going to get rid of another coach in a very short amount of time? And I don't think we really appreciate how much this team has accomplished um, when you compare it within that time frame, what do you think, Kurt? No, I think it's fair. I mean, I think you talk about that and you talk about, I remember the uh, recruiting question from uh, another reporter that led to the kind of like viral uh, moment in Mike Norvell's press conference where he talked about, I mean, guys who want to be committed, who want to be all in, in that moment kind of because they believe in the vision. And, and since then, I think Florida State's nine and three in the last 12 games. I don't know, I guess. So what, what before then Mike Norvell would have been three and 10. And since then, he's been nine and three. I mean, it definitely feels like a, a dividing line in his tenure that uh, has carried over into this year. I don't know. I'm not always a believer in momentum, but I think there might be something to it coming into like with how they've started this year. Well, we've talked a lot about it on this show, and it's pretty obvious when you see how he acts around his players and how his players act around them. They love the guy. Uh, and every time you see him in the in the videos that, uh, and they do a great job, FSU's uh, cinematic recaps or whatever they call them, where you see some locker room clips. He's, he always talks about how he says, I love coaching this team. I love coaching uh, you guys. It's just, um, it, it's a style that seems to be working, certainly, because the players are bought in. Oh, I think that's 100% true. I mean, I think you look at both the LSU and Louisville wins in different ways are kind of, I think, culture wins that are a credit to what Mark Gravel has built. I'm not sure they would have been wins last year. I go as far as to say they probably wouldn't have been, and I don't think they definitely could have been in some of the struggles before Mike Gravel got here. You know, one of the things that keeps resonating, uh, and he talked about it, I think, in his uh, Tuesday press conference as well. Uh, maybe it was Monday, but earlier in the week when he talked about, you know, today's society is all about me, 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 and what I can do. And his foundation is built on you self-sacrifice for the team and all that other stuff will happen. And that's, that's about as old school as you can get. Certainly not modern. Yeah. I think, I wonder if that was in reference to the wide receivers. Cause I mean, obviously through four games now you've had, four different guys be that guy, be the leading receiver. It was Kentron, then it was Ontario, then it was Johnny Wilson. Last week it was Darian before his uh, his injury that we don't really know, I guess, his status at the moment. But, yeah, I mean, I think it speaks to, I mean, especially if you look at that position, that is a position that can bring some, shall we say, divas with the uh, the uh, how they can be with their attitudes. And I think that group, to credit to 
him. It's a credit to Alex Atkins. It's a credit to Ron Dugans that that group has really bought into that. And I think it really extends, like you said, to the whole team. I mean, you saw the reaction to Trey Benson's kick return touchdown. You saw the reaction to Greedy Vance's interception. I mean, there is genuine love on that sidelines. And it's kind of the intangible that uh, that you can't factor in when thinking about how he's going to do in these games. So I'm going to tip my hand here as I ask this question, but in, in regard to the receivers and then some other storylines with the team, what is truly the biggest surprise if you look at it right now? And so you've got Jordan Travis, whose QBR is up, I don't know, 25 points. I mean, to me, it rivals when Christian Ponder went from one year to the next and all of a sudden he was just throwing dimes all over the field. That's what Jordan's doing now. Is it that Trey Benson ripped every muscle tendon and ligament in his knee and we didn't know if he'd be able to play again and here he is? Or is it that you have a receiving core that some said and might have been the worst receiving core in the ACC last year and as we speak right now they're rated the top receiving core in the country and there may be something else I'm missing there Jared Burst going from where he was to, to you know if he wasn't hurt to being a legitimate real playmaker I mean there's a lot of amazing storylines here I think uh, you look at two when the last time they had linebacker play like this I think that's another thing that I mean that is uh hasn't been the case lately I think that group is uh, quite good I think it has to be receivers I mean we we've seen that group through Mike Gravel's first two seasons we've seen the the just lack of playmaking ability at times I think some of Jordan Travis's struggles not to say he wasn't at fault at times but was just due to and the offensive struggles as a whole of I mean having a no 400 yard receivers through the the first two years and I think you look at through the transfer portal and I think it's a testament to the guys who were on the roster who kind of embraced those guys and and brought them in to say you know like hey like we're not going to make this a competition. We're going to make a, this a, we want the group to be a, as good a group as possible. I think Keyshawn Helton's a great example of that. You saw him, you talked about the cinematic recap. I mean, he's a guy who hasn't really seen the field this year and I know has been dealing with some stuff and also just may not be kind of among the most talented guys in that room anymore. And you still saw him in that locker room. So excited with Florida state out to the uh, 31, nothing lead to halftime of that game. I think it's a, uh, it's pretty remarkable and, and, and unbelievable of what's happened in that receiver room. Guys changing gears a little bit and looking forward. Uh, again, we're, we're at the time that we're talking, believing that this game will be played uh, at 3.30 kick on uh, Saturday. I watched almost all of the Wake-Clemson game, and I really, really want to believe that Clemson's not as good as they are supposed to be, but I'm really, really believing that Wake Forest is a whole lot better than we thought they were going to be. It's an interesting – I think a lot of that hinged on, I think I felt better about FC's chances coming into the year because there was so much uncertainty about uh, Sam Hartman with, with, and he went out and then it turned out it was like the blood clot near the heart and that got fixed up thankfully. And he's okay. And he's back. I think I, I once he was back, it to me became, I mean, that game's going to be a, a challenge. I mean, that offense, we saw what it did to FSU last year. I mean, coming off the Jacksonville state game, that may have been the, uh, the bottom point of the season, if not maybe because Louisville felt like the turnaround, especially second half, but that, uh, pretty non-competitive game up there in Winston-Salem I think was it a a 31-7 31-14 something like that loss definitely uh we saw the talent of that offense I mean Sam Hartman's a guy who's been around the block they have it seems like even more receivers than last year I mean it's going to be I think the biggest all-around passing test the uh, FSU secondary has faced this year yeah there's no there's no question about that how much do you think now this is neutered potentially here a little bit but when you look at the series aside from the 
the end of the Jeff Bowden era when Wake came down here and Wake was going to the Orange Bowl and, you know, there was the 30 to nothing game. And then I think 12-3. If you actually look at the last five times I think they've played here, Florida State has handled Wake Forest here. It, to me, it's always been uh, – it, it's always tough when you go to, to Winston-Salem, and, and many of these our listeners have not been to that stadium, but it's a smaller stadium. It's a sleepy setting. It's usually a noon game. And to me, there's nothing that the player – now, Keith is going to say the players shouldn't need any of this to get motivated. Go ahead, Keith. You can jump in and say that right now. But let that's the, just, let, let the record reveal I'm shaking my head yes. Yeah. But I am going to say that when you get there, it's just kind of uninspiring. And I feel like that helps Wake at home. It's like a home field advantage for the opposite reason you'd, you'd expect. And then conversely, when they've, they've come here, Florida State has handled business of late. Uh, maybe none of that matters. And, but when I said it was going to be neutered, it's because if this game is played, it's not going to be 80,000 people. You know, it's going to be a lot fewer. I'm just assuming a lot of people are not going to be able to travel for the game and that sort of thing. Does that play into this at all? Is that part of the reason FSU's favored the way they are in this, Kurt? Yeah, I, I don't, it's a, it's a interesting question. I mean, it, it, it's, uh, I, it, I, I struggle to think, I mean, how does FSU deal with, I mean, like you talked about, how does FSU deal with the fact that after it had 80,000 for the Boston college game, it may not have nearly that for a, a game. I mean, it's first game as a ranked team in, in, in four years. I mean, it's been a while and that's a, maybe a new level putting the number next to it is can maybe a new test for some guys and obviously maybe not having the, uh, the crowd as well could, could play into it. You talked about, I mean, it's a uh, FSU has, or you wake hasn't, hasn't often done well here. Obviously they didn't play here in, in 2020 in the COVID year. It's been uh, quite a few years, but yeah, they haven't had a ton of success here lately. How do they handle it? I mean, I was, uh, I was surprised the the spread is ballooned about to where it is now. I think they're what FSU favorite about a touchdown. It's about that. It's something like that. And that is a little surprising. Um, well, getting into the, the nuts and bolts of it a little bit. So Sam Hartman and the offense is, is one thing, and it feels like they're going to put up points. The other thing is, uh, related to that offense, though, is this mesh point. I don't know, Keith, you're the defender. You, you can explain a little bit. I mean, they just sit back there and count to four Mississippi, and receivers are running routes and extending routes. It just, it, it's just, it's unconventional, to say the least. It is, you know, the, the best way I have come up with, and I'm not saying it's the right way, but the best way I've come up with explaining it is it's like the freeze option. It's not like the veer. It's not like the wishbone. It's like the freeze option where the quarterback takes the ball, steps back in the freeze option and waits a second or two before they go right or left and, and option it. They're even running this mesh point slower than I've ever seen them. And the biggest reason for it is that allows the receivers to run deeper routes. In other words, Hartman can pull the ball, and he's not throwing an eight-yard slant or an eight-yard out. He can throw a 12-yard post. They even have time to run a post corner as slow as they're running that mesh point. And so as a defensive back, you really can't spend a lot of time watching the ball. You, you've got to watch the receivers and see where they're going and what they're doing in terms of their depth. And that means you've got your defensive backs backing up. Your linebackers are having to hold because if you shoot a gap, they'll just hand the ball off and the, and the running back can go where you were supposed to be. I mean, it, it creates a lot of havoc. And the slower they run it, it's, it's counterintuitive, but the slower they run it, the more options they have off of it and the worse it becomes. It's almost like you want somebody to dive over the center and make him do something. <laughs> Well, I was going to ask you, so, so, so what's the key to beating it? <laughs> well, if you pressure it quick, 
and you commit people quick, then those quick slants and those under routes are going to be open if your defensive backs are not running. Uh, you know, if you're lined off five or seven yards, you cannot defend that quick slant. They're going to pick up six, eight, ten yards every time. You push everybody up, they run it. He makes an in move and a back out move, and if you're not on your P's and Q's, they just lost the ball. It's not a hard throw. I mean, it creates – it's intended to, to create decisions and, and frustrations and then compel that with – and, Kurt, you know this – they go tempo. So they're not sitting back there waiting 15 seconds to get a play call in and, and get to the line of scrimmage. Um, it creates a lot of frustration, I can assure you. <laughs> Definitely, well, it feels like something where it's a great equalizer for their talent disadvantage to a few a number of teams in the ACC, FSU being one of them. You wait for it's pretty perennially among the, the lowest in the recruiting rankings for whatever that's worth. And it, it is a bit of an equalizer where you can kind of take advantage of more talented teams if they're not so disciplined. Well, the other part of it, though, is as Wake has gotten better, they're getting better athletes. Yeah. So, so, you know, you're right, and, and I, I'm disrespectful to Coach Clawson and the Wake Forest program because I refer to it as a gimmick offense. You know, you, you do that when you're talent level. But now if you're running something like Paul Johnson ran at Georgia Tech, and now you got Clawson running it at Wake, and you're getting average to above average recruiting classes, you know, that, that's one of the reasons that Adam Fuller doesn't have hair because <laughs> it got pulled out early before it turned loose. Uh, it just drives defensive coordinators mad. Now, the upside to this is it would figure that Florida State's offense probably is going to be successful against the Wake defense, too. So let's let's have that side of the conversation when we come back on Front Row Knowles right after this. Loading the kids in the car, brokering peace in the back seat, mastering the snack handoff without even looking. Why are simple things sometimes so complicated? Thankfully, with auto owners, insurance doesn't have to be one of them. We work with independent agents who keep insurance simple so you can worry about more important things like figuring out what's growing in that cup holder. That's simple human sense. Ask the Earl Bacon Agency in Tallahassee if auto owners is right for you or visit us online at earlbacon.com. Some battles are worth fighting. They build character and teach important lessons. Other times, the more we resist, the longer we stay stuck. When a simple change would change everything. Is your bank holding you back? Try my bank, Prime Meridian Bank. Changing is easy. We'll show you how. Prime Meridian Bank. Tallahassee, Crawfordville, and on the web at trymybank.com. Member FDIC. Be sure to subscribe to the Front Row Knowles podcast and follow at Front Row Knowles on Twitter. Now back to at underscore Tom Block and Twitterless Keith Jones. Yes, you heard us right in the Prime Meridian Bank Studios. Back on Front Row Knowles, Tom, KJ, Kurt Weiler with you again. We're recording this on Tuesday evening under the assumption that this game is going to be played this week. So if there's new news... Uh, file this away, and if the game's being played four weeks from now or whenever, then just listen again to our uh, astounding uh, breakdown, right? Let, let's talk FSU's offense against this Wake defense, Kurt. I mean, is this uh, – on the one hand, one way to, to, to keep Sam Hartman from scoring is to go on these 12-play, 80-yard drives, which Jordan Travis and company have seemed to have made a living out of doing this year. Uh, on the other hand, I, I feel like Florida State may be good enough on offense that, that – that having to drive take 12 plays may be difficult because I think they're going to be pretty successful against this D. What do you think? 
I, I agree. I mean, having watched the 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 uh, majority of Wake I've watched this season was that Clemson game. I got to watch all of that kind of with the eight o'clock kick last week, and I got to watch that entire game. But I mean, it's a it's a Wake defense that that hasn't been great. I think uh, Dewey DJ Uyongalale, who's had his struggles, had a, a pretty effective game against them with some questions about his uh, his receiving core. And I know he uh, had a couple passes that probably should have been intercepted. But even beyond that, I mean, how many points they gave up? How many points to Liberty? I mean, it was a, it was a high. It was, yeah, they gave up 36 to Liberty. So uh, it's a, I think it's, they've, it's been proven. You can run against them, which is I think something FSU can use. And I think you can definitely uh, pass against them. I think they're still a bit banged up there, which, which helps that. How have, what are you guys opinion about, you know, where this team is now? How do you think their chances are when, if they get into a shootout? I mean, they get into a game where the score gets into the forties or fifties. Uh, for both sides. Uh, what, what, what's your take, Kurt, on how you think the team will respond if they got in that type of situation? It's interesting. I mean, if you think back, it's a, it's been a while since we thought about kind of a game like FSU being in a game like that, because obviously uh, explosive offenses, high-scoring offenses haven't exactly been the uh, MO of late. I mean, I have confidence in Jordan Travis. I mean, he's shown nothing through four games that kind of leads us to believe he's not going to be capable of a, uh, keeping FSU in a, a game like that. And I think the more success he has, the more it opens things up for the the run game. Uh, it'd be interesting to say the least how, uh, how they'd re- respond to that. One thing it does, Keith, if you're in a trade and touchdowns game, it makes it easier to skip over a field goal opportunity and just go for it. And because that's, that's part of the equation right now, given the struggles that Ryan is having, and if you're in a in a defensive slugfest, you might want that three points. But if if you're going back and forth in a shootout, I think it makes that part a lot easier. And he he's aggressive on fourth down anyway, Keith. I was going to say this this is going to sound like a criticism of Coach Norvell. It's, it's intended to try to be an old school, uh, funny comment. But I think Mike thinks the game is at fifty fifty when the when the ball is kicked off in the opening kick. I mean, that's just the mentality that Coach Norvell has about when to go for it and, and, and how to structure things. It's just a new thought process. And I had three yards in a cloud of dust and, you know, all the other things that are in that old book, that old cliche book, they're out the window in terms of how he, I think, approaches the offense. And, and that'll sound like a criticism. I'm, I'm just saying it's different. And he's been very, very uh, consistent in believing in that. And I admire that part as well. Kurt, have you done studies on the fourth down math? And so it's funny, the main thing I look at, I know there's like a, I think a fourth down like bot on Twitter that kind of like when scenarios happen, someone plugs in the info and it says like what the recommendation is. And I mean, the recommendations for pretty much all the times Norvell goes is to say go. I mean, I think you saw it in that Boston college game and there were some spots where they would have been around like a, a 50 or so yard field goal would have been long for Fitzgerald, especially given his, uh, his form of late. And I think in that game, I, it, it, he had the luxury of, I mean, pretty quickly, it seemed clear that wasn't going to be an especially competitive game. And I think that helps make some of those decisions easier. I'm interested to see, I mean, like KJ said, he's been pretty consistent and I think he would be, it's uh it's taken some getting used to from the fan base, but I think most people are, uh, are starting to come come around on it now, and yeah, we might see uh, that in a in a in a big moment come Saturday for sure. Yeah, I just think it makes the decision making a little easier, but um, we'll see. 
What do you think? Uh, I know you're you're like us. You watch Florida State play. You can't watch everybody else play because you're committed at the stadium for so many hours on Saturday. But uh, Jordan Travis overall, I mean, he's got to be on a pretty short list. Short meaning, I don't know if it's top 20, top 10. Where, where would you put him right now nationally based on what he's doing? Yeah, I mean, I think honestly, the, the main thing keeping him out of like the fringes of the Heisman conversation competition is he only has, I think, five touchdowns in four games that he has a decent amount of yards, but he doesn't have he hasn't kind of had that gaudy game yet. And he doesn't have a ton of touchdowns. But I mean, it's, it's remarkable. I think uh, what what I mean, I think he has what 48 total rushing yards. And I think I, I looked it up early. Or I think I looked it up after the BC game. I think he's had like before the season, like 13 games where he had that many rushing yards in that in that game alone I mean he's kind of revolutionized his his game I think part of that especially this past week was definitely a he still had that brace on he he was not maybe a hundred percent but he he looked fine on that one scramble he uh he took off on but no I mean his growth as a pocket passer it feels like I saw someone say this it it feels like it's the type of remarkable growth that will make another fan base look at them and say maybe our quarterback who maybe mobile and isn't, isn't a great passer can have that kind of growth. And I would encourage people not to think that way. Cause it's not the, uh, the type of kind of blossom blossoming that you see from a, a quarterback very often, but yeah, no, it's a, uh, it's been remarkable. And I mean, he, I think is third nationally in, in, in PFF. The other part of it, and, and I haven't looked up the statistics of Kurt, if you know this and I'm way off base, correct me, but in the last, you know, last 11 or 12 games, I think he's thrown four interceptions. Let's In other words, he's protected the football. And, and that is also a knock on some of these other high-profile quarterbacks that have the great skill sets to both run and, and, pa- and pass, but they do turn the ball over, either through fumbles or through interceptions. And of recent time anyway, Jordan has been remarkable in ball security. He's thrown, it looks like, two in his last 10 games. And one of those was that uh, one where he literally hit Cam McDonald in the hand and it bounced off and was intercepted at Louisville. I think it's four in his last, it looks like, 13 games. But, yeah, no, I mean, he, uh, I think by PFF, has no turnover-worthy plays this season. And I would uh, agree with that assessment. Wow. I think the thing, so there's the the courage or whatever the word is to now stand in the pocket or when he scrambles to, to keep his, his head downfield and find a receiver. But there's also, he looks so comfortable to me pre-snap. It seems to me like he just understands everything the opposing defense might be trying to do. Keith, you were a defender. I mean, do you get that sense? It doesn't seem like he's rattled or surprised if they bring six or they overload one side, or it just seems like he knows what to do. I, I agree. And the other aspect of that, though, Tommy, and, and you know, it's hard to get Coach Norvell to talk about this. And, and obviously, you just have to ask Travis and hope he would answer. But the pre-snap decisions he's making when he needs to get out of a play or get into another play, when you are supremely confident that you're making the right decision, that calms everything else down as well. And we've heard about his decision-making. I've not heard, and Kurt, maybe a question that uh, uh, you've heard asked of Coach Norvell, but, you know, it seems like it's the whole package. In other words, he's comfortable with what he's seeing. 
When he sees something he doesn't like, he's supremely comfortable getting out of it, getting into something else that he knows is going to work. And then he just executes it. It, it. He really has made some tremendous growth, in my opinion. I think if you remember, there's the third and one play on that, that 10, the, the 94 yard touchdown drive against Boston college, the third and one, where I think he checked to that quick pass to Johnny Wilson on the perimeter where like, it's just a play where as long as you put that on his hands and Johnny catches it, it's going to be a first down just about every time. Yeah. I remember back in the preseason, he uh, talked pretty candidly about like, I used to have things in this playbook. I preferred more than others, but now kind of coming into year three, coach Robel will ask me what I'm most comfortable with. And I say all of it. And I think he's displaying that which has to make it really difficult for the opposing team because at some point, and I think the, the answer is probably when there's an emergency, they'll break glass and they'll say, okay, Jordan, it's time to run. But if they don't have to, I don't, I don't know that they're going to run them, but I, we, I certainly over the next three weeks could see all of a sudden he's running the football a little bit more, whether it's pulling it, whether it's a bootleg, I'm not saying 15 carries, but a couple big spots in each half. I could see that. We just haven't seen it this year. Well, the other part, too, is he's going to face some defenses and coordinators and defensive lines that can get a little more pressure on him potentially than maybe what you've seen. So it may not be a called play. It may be a I'm getting out of here type of situation. Yeah. I think it's also necessary from a standpoint of their defensive lines that it's going to be harder to run traditionally on. It's going to be harder to run between the tackles against NC State, against Clemson. If Jordan is keeping on read options and things more, that should open things up more for the run game. All right, Kurt, we'll let you go on this. What do you expect to play out on, on Saturday at Dope? It's hard to bet against this team right now. I, I I am subject to change, but as of Tuesday evening, I'm I'm feeling I'm feeling a Florida State win. I think it could be a shootout. I think it could be that kind of game. But uh I think the the defense has shown me enough in spurts, and I guess that kind of complete game against Boston College that uh I uh, I think I like the the Knowles. All right, Kurt Weiler, our Osceola insider. Uh he reserved the right to change his pick. You did hear that, right, Keith? I mean, it wasn't. Uh, it's acknowledged that way, yes. It, it was not complete conviction for the record, but uh, he did. We don't take have to the, publish until Friday. I, I got you. I got you. All right, we appreciate it. We'll take a break. <laughs> Come back with more Front Row Knowles right after this. Trucks, cars, and SUVs. You name it, and we got it. With the best selection of new and used vehicles in North Florida and South Georgia, and the best prices and trade-in values every day, it's the Hobson way. And if it's service you want, Mike Tyler and his team will take great care of you and do the job right. You'll never get a better deal or be treated better than right here in Cairo, Georgia at Hobson Chevrolet. So whether it's sales or service, come by and see us or check us out at HobsonChevrolet.com. Buy and service your Chevrolet the Hobson way. Getting the kids to practice on time. Remembering if it's your day to bring snacks. Making it to the game with a clean jersey. Why are simple things sometimes so complicated? Thankfully, with auto owners, insurance doesn't have to be one of them. Auto owners works with independent agents who answer when you call, so you can worry about more important things, like whether your kid is going to run toward first or third base. That's simple human sense. Ask the Earl Bacon Agency in Tallahassee if auto owners is right for you, or visit us online at earlbacon.com. Be sure to subscribe to the Front Row Knowles podcast and follow at Front Row Knowles on Twitter. Now back to at underscore Tom Block and Twitterless Keith Jones. Yes, you heard us right in the Prime Meridian Bank Studios. Back on Front Row Knowles, thanks to Kurt Weiler for uh, joining us and uh, offering his insight on this one. 
it's uh, the series has come a long way since uh, Florida State entered the ACC and, and Wake was an afterthought. Started with Jim Grobe and the great, well, I guess Jim Caldwell was there initially, but Jim Grobe really turned Wake into uh, overachievers. You remember his, his philosophy was he redshirted everybody. Remember that, Keith? Mm-hmm, so everybody mm-hmm. who played was 23 years old and they never made a mistake or got a penalty. Now, Clawson's doing it a little bit differently. He's using this mesh point and they've had the other thing Wake has done consistently over the years. I feel like they always have four year starters at quarterback like Riley Skinner was there for a decade. And now it's the same thing with their current quarterback at Hartman. It feels like he's been starting, you know, for, for a decade. So they're always pretty, pretty polished by the time you see them. Well, and, and of course, you know, Riley played under a little bit of a different offense. He would be more of what you would call a traditional drop back quarterback. But just like, you know, again, repeating myself, when Johnson was at Georgia Tech and, you know, way back in the day, if you were running the veer or the, or the, the wishbone, you would recruit, recruit a quarterback that fits your system. And Clawson's been there, gosh, what is he now, Tommy? Year seven, year eight, maybe close to a decade. Point being, you know what Wake Forest does offensively. And if you happen to be a quarterback that has a, a skill set that fits within that system, he can go get the best of that caliber of quarterback. Whereas, you know, 60, 80 other schools are not even looking for that type of quarterback. So he gets the pick of the best in the country. And, and certainly uh, that has been the case over the last three or four years with his, with his current generation of players. The other thing is, again, it's, it's just a mindset. It's just like what Norvell is doing at Florida State, where you're getting rid of the me, 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 and more about the team, team, team. That culture, that mentality, what you have to be, A, to get into Wake Forest from an academic standpoint, and then B, how you fit in with that program. He's now recruiting his guys. And so they're guys that he doesn't have to convince to be one way or the other. They are that way when they come in. And that's how you build quality programs. And, and, and that's why so many people respect Coach Clawson so, so, so much, and rightfully so. So Keith, it, it, going back, and we we covered this this game. We kind of ran the gamut, but uh, let, let's talk a little bit more about a DB having to hold his coverage for longer than than typical because of the way Wake is uh, playing with the football back there in the in the mesh point. Um, and then also, it's it's a different trajectory the way Hartman throws the football too. Um, what what's different? How do you handle that? What are the keys for FSU's secondary? Because it really feels like this is going to come down to wh- whose secondary can make some plays to stop the other team's offense. The the biggest thing I see that FSU needs to do from the secondary standpoint is they need to line up the same way every time, but then make some adjustments right before the ball is snapped. Now again, that's hard to do when when Wake's going up tempo, but you know, if you get up into a bump and run position on those wide outs, that tells Hartman and the receiver what to do if they choose to throw the ball. If you're backed off seven or eight yards in zone and, and you know, looking in and reading the quarterback too much, you're not going to pick up on the nuances of what the receiver is doing. So, so lining up, you know, at, at four yards and then shifting to bump and run or shifting back to seven and, you know, moving – I think is something that Florida State needs to entertain doing. Now, it creates some old, their own problems 
Uh, if you're shifting backwards and they throw a quick slant, all you're going to do is make the tackle. But the other part of it is you've got, you've got a, this whole thing of what's called a run blitz. You know, the tendency is not to get too overly aggressive, and, 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 and that is the case. But you can run blitz this mesh point, and you may, there may be a, a time or two when something squirts out, but you can disrupt it if you get in there quick enough. You just can't overly commit everything. I, you know, I, I think rushing seven, you know, on an all-out blitz is, is not going to work against a Wake Forest type of team. you got to pick and choose when you do it and how you do it, uh, but you, you can't just sit the entire time. You've got to find some way to be aggressive and take some, take some angles and take some, uh, some gaps and make them execute. So I just asked you about the secondary, and there's a lot of questions or concern about is Florida State going to have verse and love it and other guys back up front. But what about having competent linebacker play, which FSU has this year, and how that can be a key to or part of the recipe for success this week? Well, what it, what it does two things. Number one, if you're not overly confident in your linebackers being able, able to cover when, it's, when they're called upon, and Coach Norvell mentioned this in one of his press conferences as well. You know, there were some times versus BC where they were playing with one linebacker. You know, we, we've finally gotten used to playing with two because most of the time they're five DBs in. But sometimes they're six. But being able to keep that linebacker in there, they're usually, and of course this, this group, especially under Coach Shannon, they're usually better able to tackle, you know, in, 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 in congestion and you hope they can tackle in space. Well, this group can do both. So they're, they're big enough, they're quick enough to fill a gap, but they're also fast enough to run down an angle and run down something wide. And, and candidly, the most improved unit on this defense without question, even though we all know the defensive line is good and, and it's been a little bit handicapped with players being out, and pleasantly surprised with Burst while he was been able, been able to be on the field, the linebacker group is the most improved group in this in this defense, and and that will help in how you call, make calls, and that will help in how you go five or six DBs, because you're not you're not losing that much like you did last year or the year before with with the play being less than stellar. Uh, I've been very impressed with Shannon's group. That room has has really really improved. Yeah, you can put that on the list of. Uh, um things that have greatly improved you know I posed that question to Kurt I mean really when you look at it it's all over the place there's been such growth special teams would be another we haven't talked about that in too much detail but Florida State according to the metrics is the number one special teams uh, team in the country right now and that's even with the kicker struggling a little bit right now that says a lot about uh, finally seeing some of the fruits of the labor with for all the work they put in and, and time they commit to special teams. The other part of it, and, and, and I'd be interested in having a, listening to Coach Papushas talk about it, but, you know, in, in the traditional methodology, you really didn't want very many of your starters on special teams. And then about 15, 18 years ago, that kind of changed. And now, you know, you see your starters participating on all four elements. But one of the things that's interesting about this particular special teams unit's is sometimes the number twos, you know, the number two person on punt uh, return or number two person on, on kickoff coverage is seeing more playing time. And, and what that does is it keeps them in the ball game and it makes you, when you see them performing, makes it much easier if you're a segment coach or a coordinator 
to get them in during regular defense or regular offensive series. And it just ends up helping everyone's morale. And, and that's been pretty unique. I, I've told this story a hundred times, but the happiest, the happiest day of my life is when I was removed from the kickoff coverage team about halfway through my junior year. Cause I didn't like it. These guys like it. They embrace it. And, and that's a mindset that is just totally different than it used to be. To be fair to you, Keith, back in your day, there were no rules to prevent anything. It was just full-on collision as fast as you could go. Yeah, we didn't have the fair catch. And, and Florida State was one of the first to use the bloop kick, which meant me, me and up, up back, you know, said howdy a couple of times every game. <laughs> that expl- this explains a lot, Keith. It's all crystallizing now as I look back. There you go. All right. We're out of time, folks. Uh, Stay safe through the storm. We'll be thinking about you. And uh, if we play football, uh, go Knowles this week. He's Keith. I'm Tom. Thanks for tuning in to Front Row Knowles.